0: We started a series last week on the letters to the churches in the book of Revelation that we're just simply calling Letters from Jesus. And and uh, if you go to the book of Revelation, you know, before the ten-headed dragons get involved, before the mark, before the beast, before any of that stuff, there are these really simple letters to the existing churches in the province of Asia in the first century. and And, you know, we've talked a lot over the years of, about the kind of church that we believe Jesus wants us to be. We've talked about living a life on purpose, living the mission, uh, the fact that we're all missionaries and God has planted us where He wants us to be in order to help people around us see who He is. We've talked about being real before God and real with each other and real in the world. And we've talked about community and and how we need to do life together. And here's the thing, with all of these things, we're not innovative in any of this. This isn't a new idea that we've come up with. This is just simply New Testament Christianity. This is the way of Jesus. This is we haven't stumbled on anything new. We're, what we're doing, we're just we're just taking our run at it. You know, it's it's our turn. The generation before us has had their run, and now it's our turn. And the, the reason we're in the book of Revelation and the reason we're looking at these churches is because. As we do this, as we pursue what God has called us to be as a church, then maybe we can learn from the things that these churches did really well, and we can maybe learn from the uh, from these churches possibly some of the pitfalls that may await us as we try to live this thing out. And so last week we started off with the first letter in, in Re- Revelation chapter two, and we were talking about the church in Ephesus, and uh, and that church, if you remember, was doing all the right things externally but jesus said you've left your first love and and all our lives you know if you grew up in church someone would stand up in, in the pulpit and they'd read that and they say you've left your left your first love and that love is jesus and that's correct and everything and we we go yeah i love jesus more and and not even have a clue about what that looks like or how it plays itself out but we Love the ambiguity of it because it doesn't challenge our spirit. It doesn't make us change. It doesn't make us confront any of the monsters that may be inside of us. And so instead, we just throw the Christian bumper sticker on the back of the car and we get the medallion, you know, of the fish eating the Darwin fish and, and we just move on. The problem is that the text there isn't just going to let us do that because Jesus says that the church needed to get back to the deeds that they did at the first. And the only deed that we have them doing is recorded in Scripture is found in the book of Acts. And they were confessing their junk one to another. I mean, and, and confessing. You know, have you ever, you talk about confessing, have you ever had anybody confess to you about what they were doing, actually confessing their strengths, like it was a weakness, you know, like they, I think I just pray too much, you know, man, I just don't know. I can't quit studying my Bible. So, you know, maybe I just care too much. That's what it is. You know, they do these things, not that kind of confessing The, the, it's, uh, you know, because that's the kind of confessing that just stirs up the us toward violence. You know, we want to (laughs) punch them in the nose and, you know, but they were, they were confessing really dark stuff. In Ephesus, the temple of Artemis was there and and it was this overtly sexual culture with everything from prostitution to witchcraft and sorcery. And we found out what we what we found out about the church in Ephesus in their beginnings in the book of Acts is that they were this really gritty, really raw group of people who had serious issues. I mean, serious, dark issues. And and they decided to uh, when they came together to not just, you know, tuck in their shirt tails and put on their makeup and. Pretend that all is well, but rather they just said, you know what? I really need help. I I need help. And if Jesus can't help me, then, then, then I don't think anybody can help me. And so last week we talked about that and we prayed that we would become more and more honest in our lives with each other. And so uh, we did that. And last week that was Ephesus. Today we're going to, we're going to walk down the road a little ways to the city of Smyrna. Smyrna, uh, and and in this we learn about wealth being redefined. So let's look at the church in Smyrna, beginning in chapter two of Revelation, verse eight. This is what he writes to the angel of the church in Smyrna: Write, these are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. Now I want to stop there for just a second because uh, I want to try to explain a few of the layers of what's going on here. Because in all of these letters. Jesus is he ties something in that's very contextual to the city and very personal to the city. And and what's happening here is in their culture, Smyrna was in this economic battle with Ephesus. They were both battling to be the best city in Asia. And, and we've learned from the ruins in Smyrna that, that engraved into every building that they that they found that stood at the time that this letter was being written, engraved into every one of those buildings were the words Smyrna. The first in Asia. They wanted to be first. And Jesus says, now I am the first and the last. You you little city, you're you're not first. In fact, in about 150 years, you're just going to get destroyed. You're not first. You're not even last. I'm both of these things. I'm I'm everything. So he's really attacking their civic pride in this. Let's read on verse 9. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. So here's what we learn and what we know about the city of Smyrna. One of the things we know is that Smyrna (coughs) excuse me, was... Not a safe place for followers of Jesus. It was not a safe place. Jesus told them that they would have tribulation for 10 days. Now that could be a figurative term that that just means a short span of time. But it could actually even be a literal uh, 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 span of time because a, a person was usually in prison anywhere from 10 to 30 days until they could decide how they were going to punish you, whether to kill you or find you or whatever, because people weren't necessarily weren't really sentenced to prison. Prison was more of a holding cell waiting to find out what your judgment was back then. So according to Jesus, they were going to suffer imprisonment due to persecution. And what we find out is that some of them, after their time of imprisonment, are just going to get flat out murdered. Look at verse 10. He said, be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. So Smyrna was this dark, dangerous place for those who follow Jesus. And in fact, Smyrna is is infamous for the murder of several of the early church fathers, probably the most famous. Those who have studied church history will know this name. And if you don't, you won't recognize the name, but you you will pity him. Uh, because his name is Polycarp. I don't know if his mama hated him or or what the deal was there, but his name is Polycarp. And he was actually burned alive in the city of Smyrna. Not only over and over again were Christian leaders murdered, but on top of that, there were economic sanctions that were levied against those who were believers in the way of Jesus. They wouldn't let them sell or buy. At, At times they would go and just a mob would just literally raid the homes of Christians and steal all of their stuff, leaving them completely destitute. So what we find is this is a really, really, really dark city where those who love Jesus find themselves impoverished beyond what you and I can even begin to comprehend. And they're living in a culture that is violently dangerous to their existence. So much so that they became infamous for the murder of the saints of God. So, so this is a really, really dark place. Now, here's the thing. Around here at Restoration Life Church, we're not afraid to talk about suffering because we know it happens, right? We talk about that. We don't avoid that. We talk about suffering because... You know, there seems to be in much of our Christian culture in America that there seems to be this ease that is unpacked onto Christianity, where you know, where there's almost the implication that if you come to Jesus, that nothing bad is going to happen to you again. You know, so it's like you walk down the aisle and you say this prayer back to me, and then you you put the fish on the back of your car and you're in. You know, you're in. You're one of us. Welcome to the family. And and then we we say or imply through sermons that if you have faith, then, then, then you won't struggle and you won't suffer and there's no sorrow and there's no pain. But the reality is anyone who would stand up here, anyone who would stand in any pulpit anywhere and say that they have none of those things in their lives is frankly a liar. Because the transformation that comes through walking with Jesus is not instantaneous. It's a journey. And, and there's and on that journey there there's a lot of blood spilled along the way there's there's pain there's sorrow there's suffering there's persecution those things happen in fact jesus says that the path is narrow that insinuates difficulty does it not i you know i, I have never understood the health wealth and prosperity gospel thing because you know like what do you do with smyrna i mean you just have to ignore it that's you, you have to and so we talk a lot about the reality and and, the, and the, that the reason we need one another is because things get hard and, and all of us find ourselves in the valley eventually. And, and, and so we, we need each other. So all of us find us in that, ourselves in that place some point frustrated, feeling like our, like our prayers are hitting the ceiling. Anybody been there? So, But here's the thing. This morning, I don't want to focus on that side of it because we do talk about suffering. We have talked about it here. But there's another phrase in this passage that I think is huge. And I, I think that if we hear it today and we let it shine some light on our soul uh, and, and we would not just be intellectual file cabinets of right answers and right things to say, uh, you know, when we have these religious discussions, but, but rather we, we might find our lives starting to change and uh, and the way of Jesus becoming more of a reality to us. So look at verse 9 because that's where the phrase is found. This is what he said. Jesus said to the church in Smyrna, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. Now follow me here because Jesus, what Jesus has just said is that there is a wealth of the soul that can be had that transcends tribulation and poverty. There is a place that following Jesus will get us to. This, this thing can happen to our soul where our soul becomes so wealthy with life that the most desperate and dark situations that could befall us cannot steal that life from us. And that's huge, is it not? And here's the thing. We, we have in, in, in this place, we have been given this great mercy of being born into this country and, and so, The fact is, the reality is, nobody here really knows poverty. Nobody. If, if, even if you're homeless today and, and, and you just walked into this place uh, by the world's standard, you're still pretty wealthy. You're still pretty wealthy. And because most of us ate something today or we're going to eat something today. I mean, you're, you're tracking with me. How many of you are going to eat something sometime today, right? Yeah. There are, there are people living in really bad poverty that don't have that hope today. And, and, and I don't think anybody, on top of that, I don't think anybody is worried about getting murdered because you're a Christian on the way out to the car today. I mean, at least I hope you're not that paranoid, you know. I, my number's up. I know my number's up. Today's the day, you know, that kind of thing. But, but, but what happened here is, in, in situations that are so dark and scary that most of us can't even comprehend, Jesus looks at the church in Smyrna and says, look, how wealthy you are. So here's my question. If you can be completely impoverished and in mortal danger, but have a soul that's described by God as wealthy, could the opposite be true? Could you have great physical wealth and be completely safe and comfortable and yet have an impoverished soul that's in danger? Everybody nod your head yes. Yeah. So what happens here is Jesus redefines wealth for us. Jesus just redefined wealth. And I don't know about you, but I want to be wealthy. I want to be wealthy. And and I'm not talking about money. Like I have this wife that I love and I want our relationship to be as deep and as passionate and as beautiful as possible. And I have two daughters and I want my relationships with them to be deep and to be real and to be beautiful. I want my time here, however long Jesus has me here to be rich and beautiful and meaningful. I don't want to miss the mystery. I don't want to miss the beauty. I don't want to miss the life. That's why we're here. And so following Jesus and his teachings, what it does is it lines us up with how things really, really are. When we're following his lead, we're lined up with how things are in the deepest parts and the deepest realities of the universe. So so I want us to look at this idea today. And here's the idea. Wealth, real wealth, has very little to do with finances. But real wealth is something that occurs in soul. And I want us to look at some of what Jesus has to say about this. And, and so let's flip over to Luke chapter 12, and uh, we're going to pick it up in verse 16. This is a story that most of you have read. And it's a story of a, of a rich man who built some barns. So let's read it together. Luke chapter 12, verse 16, speaking about Jesus. Says, and he told them this parable. The ground of a certain man, or excuse, ground, the ground of a certain rich man, yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, "What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops." Now, let me just try to unpack this his dilemma for you, because they're going to measure wealth in the first century by crops. We don't, we don't do that because we're city folk, right? So you're not, you're not counting your wealth by how big your crop was this year. Uh, so, but you're counting cash in your bank. So basically if we translate it here, what's happened is this man has so much cash and cash and so many resources that he just doesn't have enough places to put it all around. So basically like this guy's house just has mounds of cash all over it. I know you've been there and so you can relate with that. And, uh, and, and so you know what I'm talking about. Let's go verse 18. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. So here's what just happened. He said, okay, I've got all of this stuff. And and, and I've got all this wealth. And I just don't even have a place to put it. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tear down all my stuff and rebuild more stuff so that I can put more stuff in there. And that, that's what's just happened. I've got so much stuff, I don't know what to do. So let me tear down my stu- the stuff that I have, rebuild the stuff that I had, used to have, make it bigger so that I can put more stuff in there. That's what just happened. Verse 19. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many of years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. God said to him, you fool. And I don't, I don't think it's an... Ain't necessarily an angry you fool. This is more of I think maybe an ah, you fool. You just you're just not seeing right. You you're, you're you're not you're seeing the world all wrong. You're missing it. You're missing the point of all this. And here comes Jesus to teach us about. He's going to line us up with how things really are. This is not debatable. This is not philosophy. This is how things are. Watch Jesus line us up. Line us up. But God said to him, "You fool." This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself. Now, there are two ways that in this text that Jesus is lining us us up with how things really are. All right. Fact, unarguable, indisputable fact number one. You are going to die and you will not decide decide when that is. That's fact number one. I know that's a little bit of a downer here for this Sunday morning, but you're going to die, and it's not going to be on your timetable. T- so, so in our country, you know, we have this uh, over the last several years. You know, we've had this huge health push, and 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 I get it. I, I really understand it. God, God's given us this one body and this time that we have, and 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 we should be good stewards of ourselves, of our body, of our energy. So, so let's be good stewards. But 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 here's the thing about that. And and I think you'll relate with this. Have you ever known somebody who lives an unhealthy lifestyle yet still lived to be a very, very old age? Right. You know, I mean, I'm talking about the kind of person that like purees and drinks bacon. You know what I'm saying? I don't know if anybody really does that, but they, they like drink bacon, bacon for breakfast every morning. They, they And then they save all the grease so they can put it in and put it in another container so that they can flavor other food with bacon grease. You know what I'm talking about? That's the best food right there. And and then on top of that, it's not a real move, a real meal unless there's gr- uh, gravy involved. You know what I'm saying? So it, it, otherwise, it's just a snack unless there's gravy, like a sandwich. That's not a meal to this person. Gravy defines it as a meal. And of course, they don't work out and they don't really do anything but sit and eat bacon and gravy. That's all they do all the all the time. And, and then they live a long life. And and you know they get their blood test and then their cholesterol is perfect. You know, I, I, you just don't get it. Right? And then, and then also, you've also, surely you've heard stories. You may remember from many, several years ago, you may remember Damian Nash. He was a running back for the Denver Broncos. Professional athlete. He collapsed and died after, after a pickup basketball game. That, how many of you remember Herbalife? I don't even know if they're still a thing. You know, I mean, they were all this health stuff. But the, but the, the maker of Herbalife died before his 50th birthday. Now, now, let me just say this really quickly. You know, don't email me and say, you know, yes, but statistically spinach will. Yeah, I understand. I get that. I, I acknowledge that the healthier way is the better way. You know, get your spinach on, you know, eat your fruits, your vegetables and drink your water. Okay, but here's the deal. In the end, Do all the exercise you want, but when it's over, it's over. You got me? I mean, Pilates ain't going to save anybody. Make you more flexible, but it ain't going to save you. I mean, who's to say that there's not somebody getting liquored up right now that's going to meet you in an intersection? I mean, I don't know. You don't know. So fact number one, you're going to die, and you're not going to be the one that decides when that happens. In fact, you know. Listen, even if somebody is in a really uh, sick place, uh, really mentally ill, and they try to kill themselves, God will preserve a life until He's ready for them to go home. He's in control. So you are not going to you are going to die, and you are not going to decide. And so Jesus is is going. Listen, you are seeing this all wrong. You've you've built all these barns, you've collected all this stuff, but here is the deal: y- you don't have stuff because I control life and death. And that means all this other stuff is just peripheral stuff. So fact number one, you're going to die. Fact number two, somebody else is going to get your stuff. That's You know, I have done a lot of funerals in my days uh, as a pastor in the, in the ministry, a lot of funerals, but I have never seen a, a U-Haul tra- trailer hooked up to a hearse. You can't take it with you. Somebody else is going to get your stuff. The the very last question God asked him was, who's going to get those big barns now? Well, it's your kids or the state. Somebody else is going to get your stuff. Somebody's going to get it and it's not you. All right, so let's keep reading. Verse 22. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. So he's lining us up again here with how things really are. Life, he says, is, is not, and it's not talking about just breathing and existing, but life. Deep, meaningful, uh, being alive, having a soul that is life. Life has nothing to do with food and the body has nothing to do with clothing. So Jesus is telling us here that there is no correlation between stuff and depth of life. There's no connection. There's no connection between stuff and how much stuff I have and how much money I have and how much wealth I have and real deep life. And there are many, many examples of that. You can see it all over the place, you know, from rock stars who commit suicide to marriages that dissolve despite having great wealth and comfort and ease. And in fact, the Bible offers another example when a very wealthy young man walks up to Jesus and he says, Hey, I'm lacking. What must I do to be saved? And Jesus basically quotes to him the Ten Commandments and the guy says, and I think this is astounding that the guy answers Jesus like this. He says, I've done all of these things since I was a kid, but I'm still lacking. What must I do? What must I do? And, and, and so follow, you know, this guy's plight because he, he goes away brokenhearted and, and my heart hurts for him. And, and here's why. He's, he's got all of this comfort and all of this financial stuff. And he, and he's got religion down. I mean, he's got it down. He's got his checklist. He's got his copy of My Utmost for His Highest. He's got his pl- worship list on, on Spotify going. He goes to church. He pays his tithes. He does all the right things. He's got the list down. All right. He's got it. And yet he says, I've done all those things. And my soul is still lacking. What must I do? It's a man who's got it all. Including that religious cloak. And he's still lacking. And that's because life goes well beyond food. And the body goes well beyond clothing. It's how things are. Look at verse 24. Excuse me, verse 22. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They they do not labor or spin, yet I tell you not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need him. Now, there's some repetition occurring in this text. There's the same word that occurs over and over and over and over again. Anybody pick up on what it was? What's the word? Anybody? Everybody going to be shy? The, the word is worry. Look, look at it with me. Verse 22. Jesus said, Therefore I tell you, do not what? Worry. Do not worry. Verse 25. Who of you by what? By worrying can add at an hour to your life. Verse 26. Since you cannot do this very little thing, Why do you worry? Verse 29, and do not set your heart on what you eat or drink. Do not worry. So let me just tell you why this is so fascinating. Because Jesus Jesus is here. He's going, quit worrying, stop worrying, quit worrying, stop worrying. What are they worried about? And if you look at the context of this text, they're worried about two things. They're worried about food and they're worried about clothing. And this is significant for us because the opening parable shows us that Jesus is not talking to poor people. He's not talking about people who are destitute. Why, then, are wealthy people so worried about clothes and food? Look right at me, because not much has changed between the first century and today. Clothes and food are symbols of status. What do I mean? Well, you know, when I was younger, I'm going way back here. When I, was, when I was young, like in high school, you were cool if you wore the Ralph Lauren polo shirt. Anybody old enough to remember that, what I'm talking about? It had the guy on the horse with the polo mallet raised up like this, getting ready to strike the ball. And, and, and if, you, if you're going to be cool, you had to have that. If you didn't have that, you weren't cool. So it was a symbol of status. But if you were, you know, not wealthy, like my family... You know we weren't i wouldn't say we were poor i guess we were kind of you know on that but we had everything we needed so we weren't poor but we were not wealthy at all and so for those of us like like me they had this knockoff anybody remember this one they had this knockoff called knights of the round table anybody <laughs> any remember knights of the round table so i see jerry written on his head he he, he remembers those and so it was the exact same logo on there except, so you had this guy on a horse, exact same logo, except instead of a mallet, they put this little triangle at the top of it and turned it into a flag. So it was a little flag on the, on the, on the logo. And, and, but it was like 40, 50 bucks cheaper than the polo shirt. And, and so when I was growing up, I didn't get polo. I got Knights of the round table kind of stuff. And, and and it's, I've been to counseling, so it's okay now. I'm cool. You know, I'm, I'm dealing with it, that sort of thing. But, but, so, so clothing, is, it's, we can all see that very easily, how clothing is a symbol of status. And you may say, okay, I get that. But, but food is a status symbol? Absolutely. Absolutely food, both then and now. Here's an example. I'm a son of a truck driver. So when my parents threw parties when we, when we were growing up, the cheese we had came in a can. You know what I'm talking about? And, and nobody was sipping champagne. You know, it was, we were drinking Kool-Aid or iced tea, right? And there, there was no caviar there. What you did is you took your Ritz and you cheesed it up. That's what you did. You know, that's how we rolled. We weren't wealthy, no fish eggs at our house, no smoked salmon at our place. Nothing wrong with what we did. Nothing wrong with what we had. That's just who we were. And according to Jesus, sometimes the simplest, or excuse me, the wealthiest people we see aren't really wealthy at all. In fact, if you looked at the state of their soul, they seem tired anxiety ridden and overwhelmed. And all those people are wealthy. They're very tired. They're exhausted. And there's anxiety in their life all because they're trying to keep up the status. They're trying to keep up this outward appearance of success. In fact, that's why. There are some people that are drowning in debt in our nation because they're trying to keep up an appearance. See, here's the thing. You know what money gets you? Uh, well, all of those, all those answers you just gave me are all correct, but I'm going to give you another one. Options. Options. And in America, we love options. You know, how, how do I know that? Well, because pizza places sell tacos and taco places sell pizzas and hamburger p- joints sell salads and, you know, it just doesn't make any sense to me, but it's because we love options, okay? Now, now don't lose me. We're, we're almost done. But do you think, let me ask you this question. Do you think that maybe our options might be killing us? Now, follow me here. If you don't hear anything else today, hear this, do you think our options might be killing us? Put it another way, do you think we can never really enjoy what we have because we know we can always have more? I read about a man who went on a trip to, a mission trip to Liberia. And while he was there, he met and talked to these two little boys that were in an orphanage there in Liberia. And he, in this conversation, he asked them what their favorite food was. And these two little boys with these great big smiles on their faces, they answered like, like this rice, we love rice. And you know why they love rice? Cause steak ain't an option. Follow me. It's rice or it's nothing. And so there's this awe and there's this gratitude and there's joy that's built around rice. And I'm wondering how many of us lose out on depth and beauty and gratitude and joy because we can't see how blessed we are because we can always get something else. You know, it's like it's like I can't see how blessed I am with the car that I have, even though it's not perfect, even though it runs great, even even though it's a little bit older. But but I can't be blessed. I can't be satisfied. I can't be joyful. I can't be gra- grateful for that because I see my neighbor driving around in this really nice new car that still has the new car smell and it has all the bells and whistles. And and I know that there's something more that I can have. And so instead of being grateful for what I have, instead of being grateful for, for, for what God is giving me. I, I can't enjoy the moment. I can't enjoy the life I have because I'm d- killing myself trying to get to the something else. I'm wondering if options are killing us. How many of us can never enjoy where we are because we're always looking for what's coming next? We, we can never enjoy where we are because you know we're looking forward to graduation or we're looking forward to next semester or we're looking forward to the next promotion or to the next house or the next car or the, or, or for some people even the next relationship. I'm wondering how many of us never enjoy the beauty and, and see, even see the beauty around us because we, we never are where we are. How many of you have ever known somebody that no matter where you were or what you were doing, it was that person that always like, this is lame you ever know somebody like that i hate this this is just lame there's nothing to do it's just so lame i mean no matter what's going on no matter where you are there that's where they are that's where they're god this is so lame there's nothing to do i honestly i have to bite my tongue around people like that because i always want to say you know lameness just seems to follow you around. (laughs) You know, I just have to bite my tongue because it's like where you are, there is lameness. That's all. That's the only correlation I have. So I'm just saying maybe lame is not a place, but maybe lame is a person. I'm just asking questions. That's all I'm saying. But maybe we can never enjoy where we are because we never are where we are. We're always thinking about the next thing, the next place, the next event instead of, being fully where we are. See, it's what the poor don't have. They options. They are where they are. So they they celebrate things like rice. They celebrate, celebrate that. Options. You know, last week, we said that each of us has a certain amount of vitality, a certain amount of energy, a certain amount of life, and that some of us are exhausted because we spend it on hiding our junk and hiding in, inside of ourselves. And, and Jesus is going to say, listen, if you want to, in a place to invest that vitality, if you want a, a place to invest your energy that's going to lead you into real life, where you find real wealth, that's going to lead you into this soul wealth that, I'm, that we're talking about today, then, then he says, pay attention here. And, and so look at verse 31, because Jesus tells us where to put our vitality and energy if we want to find this wealth. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Jesus is saying, do you you want soul wealth? Then seek me. Come on and follow me. If you want to find the kind of wealth that goes beyond, that will carry you through even the darkest circumstances, no matter what happens in your life, that you'll have this wealth of the soul, then follow me, seek me. You know, one of the things that I'm concerned about in, in today in a modern the modern church is that we have become storehouses of knowledge and information. But we tend to never let that the 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 light of that knowledge shine on our own hearts. We like to shine it on other people, but we don't let it shine on our own hearts. And that makes us ineffective. That's that's church as a hobby. Instead of Christianity as a lifestyle. And, and, and I don't understand it. Frankly, I got to be honest. Church as a hobby has got to be the lamest hobby ever. You know, I mean, buy a boat if you want a hobby. But what happens is we hear message after message. You, you hear messages on the radio. You, you, you know, stream messages on your phone. You, be, you listen to messages on podcasts. You can hear sermons all the time in today's world, all the time. And what we do is we hear this or maybe it's not a whole sermon. Maybe it's just a little meme, a little clip that somebody puts on Facebook and you see it and you grab hold of this. And, and we like to wrap rack that stuff up in our brain so that the next time we're in a conversation, we can open up a file from our brain and we can throw that thing down there and sound smart and sound like we know and sound spiritual. So, so what's going to happen for some of us is that later on this week during, you know, some discussion or some conversation you're having and, and and you're going to, you're going to look at everybody and say, you know what the problem is options options that's the problem too many options and you're going to pull out that file and you're going to say soul wealth that's what we really what we're really after and and so now you've got this file in your brain and this this file on soul wealth and 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 you 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 can pull that out anytime you want but but what i but here's here's the thing see we get this information this is my point we get this information that we can spew that we can give to people we can tell people and we and it makes us look good in the right moment this sort of thing But what I'm really wondering is how many of us are really going to ask hard questions of ourselves? I'm wondering how many of us are going to walk out of this room and say, where am I with Jesus? Am I soul wealthy or am I soul poor? I wonder how many of us are going to are going to walk out of this place and actually ask the question and say, am I s- spending my time and investing my energy into chasing the next thing instead of being grateful for what God has given me now? Am I, am, I, am I living where I am instead of killing myself trying to get somewhere else? Am I growing in love? Am I growing in kindness? I mean, there may be people in here today or watching on the live stream even that you're just doing church today because that's what you're supposed to do. And you've never really thought about whether you really love Jesus or whether you really have a relationship with him. We kind of have this cognitive exchange of information that transforms nothing. And that's not the gospel. That's not the way of Jesus. That's not what the church is supposed to be about. I'm wondering how many of us are gonna have the courage to look inside and to to look at the monsters that are inside of us because there's something there in all of us. There's nobody here perfect. So I know that they're there, but we don't like to shine the light down there because it's it it can be really jacked up inside there. But the the monsters of envy and of bitterness and anger and lust and resentment. They're just crouched down there waiting to devour us. And we just, instead of dealing with them, like to ignore them and pretend they'll go away. And I said it to you last week, and I'll say it again. If you're not fully you, we can't be fully we. So I'm wondering how many of us will really check our account today and then have the pride-swallowing courage to get help when you see things that are broken. Because, see, the reason we don't do that, the reason we don't, you know, find a place of honesty with someone else or get counseling or, or even pray about it sometimes is, is because we get this idea that we have to live up to this model of being like super Christian. I can't let anybody see. I gotta let, I've got this reputation. And, but I'm going to be honest with you. Super Christian does not exist no such thing you know that guy thinks he's bulletproof and he jumps in front of the gun but he's just going to get all shot up the kingdom come he doesn't exist there's nobody here and listen if you if you live that way and try to put the mask on nobody believes it nobody does i just here to tell you i'm wondering how many of us will ask the tough questions today and i wonder how many of us will confront what's dark and Ask for help. And I wonder how many of us will be willing to look at our lives and say, wait a minute, I've been pursuing the wrong wealth. I've been chasing after things that won't satisfy. I've been thinking that I, I, if I just built bigger barns, then I would, be, I would be content and I could live the rest of my life in contentment. And God looks at us and says, no, 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 you fool. That You're not seeing things right. It's not about the things you own. Wealth. Is about what's going on inside. Your relationship with Jesus. You know, we need each other. We really need each other. The reason is because we're not as pretty as we like to pretend. Jesus said you can, you can walk in this wealth of spirit, this, this wealth of life that transcends the most horrific of circumstances. And I'm wondering if I have it or if I'm on the journey towards it and and what exactly that will cost me. And honestly, I'm wondering who who will try it with me. So last week we prayed that we would be a place of honesty. And I hope this week that you'll pray that we'll be a place of great wealth and not money. That will be a place that values that values the kingdom, that seeks the kingdom of God, that values our relationship with Jesus, that values the relationships within the body of Christ, that values people more than anything else. That that instead of looking and saying, oh wow, you know, what could we do if we had a nicer facility or a better location, or 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 in in, in a more personal uh, note, if we say, what what can I do for the kingdom if I made more money? Instead of looking at it and saying, well, you know, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna get more stuff, more stuff, more stuff. That we just say, Lord, I'm content with where you have me. I just want you. And anything else you have for me, that's fine. If there's, if there's more wealth down the road, that's fine. If there's a new car down the road, that's fine. I don't care. As long as I have you, as long as I have the body of Christ, I've got, I've got all I need. That will be a place of real wealth. I want us to be wealthy, wealthy in life. It's not my decision to get us there. It's our decision. So, last week we talked about honesty outside, confessing to others and the necessity of that uh, uh, for for honest living and for deep life. But today it's about being honest with ourselves. Maybe instead of just jetting out of here, maybe you need to take some time and just check your accounts. Are you wealthy? Where are you with Jesus? How, How is your love? Are you are you how quick are you to forgive? How how angry are you? What's going on inside? Are you, do you find yourself lusting after things that you could have instead of being grateful for what you do have? Maybe there's, maybe there's some things that Jesus wants to deal with. Would you bow your head? Pray together with me. Father, thank you so much for all of these men and women and those that braved the cold to come out today. And I, I thank you, Lord, that, that there is this wealth to be had that goes well beyond what we understand or what we can comprehend. And I thank God, that, that some of us, probably even many of us, have tasted some of that and some of us have, have sp- sat down and chewed on some of that. But God, I just pray that You would just take us all the way to the table. That we would feast on Your wealth. And Father, I, I pray that that there could be some real honesty inside of us today that, that we might ask some hard questions. Like, are we growing in love? Are, are we growing in patience? Are we growing in kindness? Are we growing in mercy? Are we growing in grace? Are we, are we growing in all of those things that, that, that you say you are, and so God, I pray for honesty. I pray for spiritual wealth more than I want anything else for us. And Lord, I pray that as the as the yous become yous, and the, then the and then the we can become we. That you just just make us who you want us to be. And so God, I just I just pray that you would make us healthier today. I pray that you would guide people because looking inside of us is a scary and dark and confusing thing to do at times. And and we don't know what to do. We don't know where to go. But the good news is, God, that your spirit is right there. And you're the one that teaches us. You're the one that grows us. I pray, God, that we would see the death of pride because pride is the enemy of spiritual wealth. May we pursue you and may we be protected with heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking around. I I don't know where anybody is. I'm just going to ask a real simple, generic, open question. How many of you here would say, Pastor Dave, I want you to pray with me. Because I don't want to waste my life pursuing wealth that doesn't matter. I want real wealth. I want wealth of life that goes beyond the things of this world. If that's you, just slip your hand up right where you are. Yeah, all over this place. Father, you see our hands. Mine's up too, Lord, before you. And God, all we're just simply saying is we don't want to be caught up like the man who is building barns for more, thinking that he would find contentment and peace in the stuff that he had. But God, we want to chase after you. We want to seek you. Help us to find that wealth in you that goes beyond circumstances, goes beyond uh, any kind of persecution or problems. God, that we would find true soul wealth. Lord, just help us to grow in you. Help us to become more like you. And Lord, if those areas of our lives where we're falling short, and I know that, that there's, they're there for all of us. Help us, God, to look inside and be honest with ourselves. And first of all, God, to come to you. And let your spirit do what you want to do. And second of all, God, that we would do like we talked about last week, that we would get with that group of people that we can be honest with. And we just say, hey, I want you to pray for me. I'm really struggling in this area. Maybe maybe, uh, 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 it's bitterness. Pray for me. I'm really struggling with letting this go and bitterness is taking hold. And I need Jesus to help me because I can't get rid of it on my own. Whatever it is, God, I pray you'd help us. Make us the way you want us to be. Make us who you want us to be. And help us to be grateful for the life you give. And help us to see the real life, the real things that matter. And to celebrate those things in your, with your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.